Hey guys, happy Wednesday. I'm Lynn Nitcher, your host for Drive Through Moms. Each episode, we're going to be talking to ordinary moms that are serving others in extraordinary ways. I can't wait for you to hear how God is using these amazing women to impact the lives of those around them. Here we go. Today, we have a very special friend of mine um, with us today who is the current CEO and president of the North Texas Food Bank here in North Texas, Tricia Cunningham. Tricia, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Lynn. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so we've known each other for a while. Uh, Our kids grew up in youth ministry together at church, went to camp, um, spent a lot of years together at church. But catch me up a little bit first on on the kids, on Greg, and what all is going on with those guys. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we've been here in North Texas since 1999, and both of my kids have now graduated from college. They both went to Texas Tech. My daughter got married a year ago, and she married a Texas Tech grad, and they live here in the area, and they're just buying their first house. And uh, my son um, is uh, has a master's in accounting and lives here in the Dallas area as well. Well, you can't beat that to have your kids grow up and go to school and then come back and still be close. <laughs> right. You know, it's just been really rewarding, I think, to sort of see them find their own paths as well. You know, that's all we can hope. We hope that we can equip them and that they then are able to go off and, and chart their own courses. And, you know, and I think that's part of the really rewards that we get as a mom is just being able to see them to, to thrive and, and find their own way. So how did you guys get here? You you and Greg grew up in Kentucky, right? Yes, we did. Okay. So then did did your TI career, is that what brought you to Texas or did you move for some other reasons when you came here? Yeah. So I, I was a computer engineering major in college and quite honestly, in Western Kentucky at that time, there really weren't a lot of jobs for computer engineers. We were getting married right after I graduated from college. And so Greg came on down to the Houston area. His brother and sister, his sister and brother-in-law lived there at the time and went ahead and got a job there because we knew that there would be more job opportunities for me. I had interviewed with Texas Instruments on campus. And so as, as soon as I finished graduation, uh, came down to Texas and tried to find a job because we were getting married at the end of June. And I was very fortunate to get an offer from Texas Instruments uh, in the Stafford-Houston area and was there for uh, 13 years before they moved me up here to the Dallas area. But that's how we got to Texas. Wow. And so you were with TI then for, what, close to 30 years? It was, it was 30 and a half years. Um, so I, I joined Texas Instruments in 1986 and I graduated from there. I call it graduation because I had full intent to do something beyond that, but I graduated from there in December of 2016. Okay. You know, I know that, um, like I said, we've been friends for a while, so I'd always see pictures of you and Greg at different events and stuff. And I knew that you had a pretty high profile you know, position with them, but I really had no idea, um, you know, what all you did um, until I really started looking into your background a little bit more, especially once you got ready to move to uh, the food bank. But what was that like, you know, as a mom and a young mom with kids in school at the time? Because uh, you obviously traveled and were kind of a brand rep. And um, I mean, talk a little bit about what that was like with your position. And and obviously, as it changed and, and your responsibilities became bigger um, through those years and yet having with kiddos. 
You know, that's a really good question. And it was something that, you know, as a mom, as a Christian, sometimes um, I will just say that there were that there were other fellow Christians that sometimes I think tried to make me feel a little guilty by having a professional career. And I really had to 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 talk to God about that and and say, you know, is this where you want me? Is this where you want want me to be? And I had to be very comfortable with that decision because I do feel that God put me in the places that I've been throughout my life for for him. I mean, there are situations I can look back at and say, you know, I had an experience in my life that was able to help someone else that I worked with. And at the end of the day, you know, God places all of us and places convictions on all of our hearts to be able to serve where we need to be able to serve. And I also had a very understanding husband who supported me. And we look at our marriage and, you know, what we were able to do as a partnership. And he started his own business in Houston because I did have demands. I did have to travel more. I did have to, you know, go around the globe. And he had to take the primary role for taking care of the kids whenever I did that. So I could not be successful in my role without a strong partnership with my husband in that role as well. So we both had to come to this. And you can imagine the fact that, you know, many men was like, oh, well, he's got to be the breadwinner and some of those things. But, you know, obviously some of the men that he was at, he was actually the envy of some of the men that he worked with because he did get to get more quality time with our kids too growing up. And I mean, I never wanted to miss anything. I love to be an involved parent, but I, I like the fact that we were both able to be involved parents with our kids. And that was just, that was what worked for us. And so, you know, I've always been to the mindset that wherever God convicts you, and how he wants to use you is what you should do. And I felt very convicted that he gave me a lot of knowledge and skills that was going to be able to help others. And, um, you know, that was where I needed to be. And my husband supported me. And we both had that same conviction that this is how we needed to be able to to live our lives. But, you know, it was it was not easy. I can remember being in Dallas one time when my daughter was six months old and she had a craniotomy when she was four months old. And she was on the counter when Greg was unloading the dishwasher and I was in Dallas and she had a tumble and she sort of was kicking and all this and she she fell. And I was like, oh my goodness, how do I get home? And there were no more flights that evening. And so he had to take her to the emergency room. And I mean, so you always have those situations. It seemed like it never failed that whenever I would go out of the town, one of the kids would get sick. And, you know, all those things you just had to be able to work through. But, you know, I think both of our kids have grown up and and they're pretty independent and able to, to chart their own course um, as a result of of seeing both of their parents work together in these situations. Right. And I think you're right. There is a lot of, um, especially like I, I had the polar opposite experience where I stayed home probably till Amanda was a junior. Um, and, you know, you, when I went back to work and I had never really experienced being out of the house and Reggie was the one that was traveling all over and um, it never failed. You're right. I mean, Amanda, Amanda was my sick one and uh, she would get sick when he was gone and he would feel bad for being gone. So there's just that pull of not wanting to miss it. And yet you're doing what you're doing for your family and you're doing what you're doing because it's something God laid on your heart. And he gave you those talents and abilities um, and leadership abilities for a reason. 
Um, and you just, you know, you go with what you, like you said, you go with where you feel like God has planted you and each, each thing I think you have, it's one thing Reggie's really encouraged me through the years of kind of trying to, once I got back into the workforce of, you know, each thing you do builds on the next thing and each job you have, you learn different skills and different things that will, um, you know, enable you more in the next phase, but there's always people around you that you can encourage with what they're going through, especially younger moms, um, with something that they're going through that you've maybe already been that direction, or you may be able to identify with them that somebody else wouldn't just specifically because of, of your own, um, experiences. So I totally get that. And I, I, I hate that, that, we as moms kind of have that pull, um, or even shame, I guess, sometimes with each other of, you know, well, you work and I don't, or I work and you don't. And there's just kind of this undertow sometimes, but, you know, I think trying to remember and focus that you do what you do that you feel like the Lord's led you to. And at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Um, and I think it's just been awesome to watch you guys, Greg, and I always had fun going with the kids to camp. And um, I think y'all have done an amazing job. I have to say, this is kind of funny, but I love watching the dichotomy, just the total oppositeness of y'all's activities. So like Greg and, you know, NASCAR, you know, and you and Carrie are love the DSM. And I'm sure y'all are waiting for that to kick back off. Oh, we are. We're missing the performing arts for sure. Uh, I know. I was looking at the schedule the other day and Oklahoma is coming this yeah. next season, which I hadn't seen in years. But anyway, that's, that's exciting. I can't wait for that. Um, well, just looking through, I was looking through, um, some of the things that you, the titles even that you held when you were at TI, you know, director of worldwide company communications, director within the worldwide market communications, and then the chief citizenship officer. First of all, the word worldwide would have totally freaked me out to be in charge of something that had that in my title that I was responsible <laughs> for that much. But I think what one of the things that struck me the most um, in reading this was one of the things that I saw that said that you were, um, I guess in your last 10 years when you were the chief citizenship officer, that volunteerism grew by 13% and that giving was up for by 40%. Were there programs that you implemented during those years that kind of was a great segue into the food bank? Cause it sounds like that's a really great fit for what you did then and then what you're doing now at the food bank. Yeah. So I just want to clarify, not for me, but for, it it really does get for TI. So volunteerism was up 13 X, not 13%. So times over, but the, the reason why is that Texas Instruments had a strong culture of wanting to make their community stronger. And I was able to help take that from a very Dallas centric culture and help to expand that globally, because even no matter where we were um, as a company, you know, we were in 26 different company countries, all the challenges that were there socially were things that our employees had to deal with. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't just taking from the communities where we were, but we were giving back. And so it was fun to be able to go, go to wherever it was to be able to see uh, our employees and help enable them to be able to give back in their communities. And, and yes, that did have a strong influence. I, I believe, you know, everything that we do, uh, you know, points us to our, whatever the next adventure is. I'll, I'll have, 
have a little side story here because you wouldn't see this on my resume or anything. <laughs> Whenever I was in college, I worked uh, as a administrative assistant in an office called the American Humanics Office. And what that, it, it's changed names now, but what it did was it helped students to equip them to become executive directors or CEOs of nonprofit organizations. I typed the first internship guide for that program whenever I was in college. Now you take that full circle and look at where I am now. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I could not have orchestrated this. Even the positions in TI, I had a computer software engineering degree. I went into some marketing roles initially. It was in my, whenever I managed our global corporate communications at TI, that I took on the responsibility for our corporate social responsibility reporting and engagement and, and making sure that we were doing the right things as a company. And that just became a true passion of mine. I started serving on nonprofit boards. I wanted to be able to give back. You know, I felt like so many people had poured into me that I had a responsibility to give back. And so I sought out were some of the areas of passion as a female and a very male dominated area. You know, I felt a passion around helping equip young women to be able to be the best that they could be to, to reach their full potential and help them not... Uh, have any barriers of, of being able to do that, whether it was through education or or just leadership development. And so I started seeking out boards that had those kind of characteristics that would that would help enable that kind. Because you know, I was I had great parents that supported me, even though they didn't have a college education. They wanted to make sure that my brother and I got a college education. And and but you know, some families aren't fortunate to be able to have parents that encourage that. And so we wanted to be able to do that. But, you know, it was those kind of experiences. Then I had the opportunity to move into the public affairs area at TI and to be able to grow what we did uh, for community support. And that was really, uh, it really was a pivotal time because whenever I went and I, I looked around the world at what the greatest needs were, and I could have stayed at TI longer. There was really nothing else I wanted to do there. I had had five different positions at the company uh, you know, it really made me soul search. What what should I be doing? And I really, for two years, it was really probably two years that I spent just really praying to God, asking God, what do I do? And there were just some things that I think had come up that were sort of signs for me that I needed to take this leap of faith and graduate and see where he wanted to use me next. And that's in January of 2016, I had those conversations with my leadership at TI that by the end of the year, I wanted to see through my goals for that year, get past my 30 years. But, you know, I just felt like there was I needed to do something beyond TI if I was ever going to do that. And so that's how it sort of led me. All those experiences that I've had. I mean, I was extremely grateful for all the opportunities I had there, but I just sort of felt like led to be able to put those to work in um, another chapter, you know, where I felt like it was really lifting up the entire community. Right. I remember a conversation we had, because you've always been somebody that I've admired from a from a career perspective and um, goal-oriented, but leadership um, has always been a big thing that I've watched in you. And I remember we had a conversation and I was kind of at a point where not really sure what I wanted to do next. And yet I know I've had something like, you know, which is this 
podcast along with some other projects with it um, for a long time, but was just felt stuck. And you were just really encouraging to, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? What is it that you really feel like God has given you the gifts and talents for? And so that was really, you know, a, a good pivotal part for me because that was when I kind of used that to really, like you said, kind of soul search and dig deep and um, kind of pivot into what I was going to be doing next, which was, you know, leave where I was to start some other things for different reasons. But um, so you left, once you retired, did you have the North Texas Food Bank on your radar? I mean, was that something that they approached you about once you left? Were you, you knew you were wanting to do something different, but how did that play out? Yeah. So, you know, I had started quietly, you know, confidentially networking with other people, probably middle of middle of that year. And I started trying to, to build some of my own skills. Um, you know, one of the, I had a few different interests. One of them was corporate boards. I really have a strong acclamation towards board governance and social responsibility is something that a lot of companies are placing more emphasis on because their shareholders care about that. So I was building my uh, my skills in some of those areas. Uh, I could have done something with another corporation. Um, so sort of building a program uh, versus sort of running main, run and maintain, which is where I sort of felt like we were because we had put a lot of the foundation in at TI. I mean, they certainly have taken it to new levels now. But um, then the third thing was really having a role in an organization that I felt like would would really have a strong impact on our community. And I think that's really where my heart was. I explored some of these other areas and I'm still interested in some of the, the corporate board work uh, later on, but I really wanted to be able to see, you know, how could these skills that God has given me and these opportunities really be put to work? And no, the North Texas Food Bank was not on my radar. The woman that led this organization was a fearless hunger fighter for so many years. And I had so admired her and I knew that she was ill, but I had no idea how serious her illness was. Um, she, you know, as I said, I, I graduated in December. It was that same month that she, she made her announcement that her situation was terminal and that she was, um, you know, leaving the North Texas Food Bank and that they would be searching for a new CEO. Even at that time, I can remember writing Jan a card thanking her for her legacy, but I never, I never really thought about the food bank as an option. I, I had another offer for another position in December of that year that I, I turned down just because it didn't seem like it was the right opportunity. But, you know, I had three or four other things that were on my radar screen at the time. And um, the, the search firm that was doing the search for the food bank was the same one that had done the search for the organization that I turned down in that December. And whenever that one came up, they, they approached me about that. And I also had other people that had come to me and said, oh, you should really think about the food bank. You know, that would be a perfect fit. And just think about the impact you could have. And so my, Greg actually was the first one that, you know, whenever I, I went ahead and decided, yes, I would go ahead and, and go through the recruiting process for the, the food bank. And Greg, you know, all these other opportunities that I had done, I would always come home. I was like, well, I could do that or, or something along that. And, you know, well, I, I could do that. But he said, this was the first one that you've been excited about. Every time you would talk to somebody new, you would become more excited about it. He said, so I knew this was the one. Yeah. 
And it was, you know, and, and whenever, and I think a lot of it had to do that whenever you look at what is the most basic of needs, it's food and mm-hmm. having access to nutritious food. I mean, you cannot study, you cannot learn unless you're, you have access to nutritious food. You know, my daughter's a teacher and she, she's seen it in the classroom as well. She knows that there's hunger um, and, you know, they can't concentrate and they can't thrive unless they have access to that. Senior citizens, you know, living on a fixed income, they can't make ends meet sometimes if they don't have access to additional nutritious food. They often have to make trade-offs of, do I buy food or do I buy my medication that I need? And we don't want them to have to do that. And even families, you know, families struggle sometimes to know if they're going to have food to put on their table and they have to make trade-offs of, do I fix my car that I need to go to work? Or do I put food on the table? And so even during the time, you know, right now, certainly with the pandemic, needs are just crazy. But even before the pandemic hit, we had families in our community that were having to make these choices. 95% of the people that we serve have a permanent address. They aren't necessarily the homeless people on the, the street corner that you see panhandling. Uh, these are people that were working. The majority of them had jobs and they just weren't able to make ends meet. Wow. I know even when, um, that was one thing I was going to ask you about in a second, but I know when I worked in the school district, kind of like Carrie, so the the Friday bags, are those something that, those come from the North Texas Food Bank, right? The backpack? Yes. Okay. Because that was something, I worked in a Title I school uh, for three years and we had, um, you know, the teachers could identify kiddos um, and we had a community and schools representative on campus that would bring the bags every week. And I know there were kids that would get off the bus starving because they hadn't mm-hmm. eaten. And um, we had breakfast at our school that we all went because it was Title One, and everybody could go. And um, it broke my heart. I mean, we had kids that were, you know, we were feeding them in the room before we ever went to breakfast. We would keep stuff in there and we had mm-hmm. extra stuff that the food bank would give us. But those those food bank bags and their backpacks was what would get them through the weekend because they just you knew that they might not have enough over the weekend. And we always did home visits. And so um, obviously the school I was in was a little different than the population you're talking about as far as um, maybe during the pandemic, seeing more rise in people that needed it, maybe that hadn't needed it before. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen that be such a blessing um, to families personally, um, when you talk about, uh, your transition to the food bank and then before you really got to COVID, did you ever imagine, I mean, I know you guys built a new facility not long, or there was a new facility right, right after you got there. Right. So that would have been a big transition in and of itself. Yeah. So, you know, whenever I got here, I started in July of 2017 and in August, of 2017 is when Hurricane Harvey hit. We had about Mm -hmm. 7,000 evacuees that came up to our area that the food bank had to be on the front line of supporting. We're part of a a collaborative called the Mass Care Task Force. First time ever it had to be activated. Uh, So we had that going on. We broke ground on a new facility. So we we broke ground on our facility in Plano and uh, we started and completed that. We had a $55 million capital campaign that we needed to complete by January. And so, I mean, my chief development officer put a number seven on the the piece of paper when I first came in and said, that's what we have to raise in the next six months, in addition to what we need 
for our normal operations. And so we had that that we needed to to complete. Um, you know, we had a, a, my, our team, our team here. I mean, there was a lot of change, right? So Jan had been here for 20 years. She was a beloved leader and and, uh, you know, it was it was they were still grieving, actually, you know, right? Because, I mean, you, your leader is gone and, and it was so important to make sure that we had a smooth transition there. And they, you know, there was an interim that was there, too, but just sort of getting to to build that relationship and trust. And I had to hire a, a new executive team. So all but one of my team members uh, had to be able to hire that. So, yeah, there was a lot of change that happened. And and then you, you know, sort of fast forward, we did move into our new facility in August of 2018. And again, I think all of this is God's timing mm-hmm. because we would not have been equipped to have any of the space that we needed, right, you know, to be able to help serve in this pandemic if we were not in this building. If we hadn't completed that capital campaign, we would not have had the, the resources that we needed to not only support ourselves, but the more than 200 partner agencies that we work with in the 13 counties we serve. And, you know, all of this, like I said, I, I just really believe is God's timing on how all this happened. There was not a playbook for the pandemic, but, you know, our community has also helped step up and help to support, you know, these needs. Because at at the end of the day, I don't think anybody wants anybody to go hungry. And I think one of the things that has happened during this pandemic as well has been that this issue of hunger has been brought to the forefront because people are seeing the lines of cars. You know, it used to be sort of hidden because it might be the person that was serving you food. But now it is all, you know, it's exposed. You can see all the people that are are really struggling with that. But, you know, God has provided every step of the way for whatever resources we need, the people that we need, with the expertise that we need to really help build our team to be able to complement each other and to make sure that we can respond to these needs that are here in our community. So what do you think um, has been the biggest change with how you operate, even on a daily basis with the food bank um, since the pandemic from before? I mean, that had to be, you know, every every aspect of pretty much everything in the world has had to change and be a fluid situation because it's just changed from day to day on how you do things and just the specifics. But what really you think has been the biggest change in how you handle um you know, the distribution to uh, the volunteers, to the donations because of COVID versus what you did before? I think it would be easier to say what didn't change. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm totally serious about that because, you know, as a nonprofit, we typically relied on a very strong volunteer workforce to be able to help us to get food sorted and kitted and be able to get it out to partner agencies, which was delivered typically of pallets of food because they would have an in-person, almost grocery store-like shopping experience. Um, And so all of that had to change. We had people that were meeting their, their employees at the front door because and telling them that they could not come in and volunteer because their, their company had a policy you know, against them gathering in, in groups. I mean, they were sending people home to work, even not even allowing them to come into their own offices because they weren't essential businesses. So they weren't going to allow them to come and volunteer either. And so we went from having access to 41,000 volunteers a year to none. Sort of on the other side of that, 
we were, we had to determine how could we safely distribute food. And so the method that was the safest to distribute was to pre-kit boxes of food and be able to do them through a drive-through model, both for us and the partner agencies that we serve. That was the method that we were primarily going to do. So we went from assorting and things to now having to kit boxes of food, which was much higher labor uh, needs that we had. So we had to figure out how to be able to do that. So it really forced us to be innovative and really think about what we, we could do differently. We also had to protect our own employees. And so we typically had one shift a day. So now we have three shifts a day because we needed to have some separation in, in particular in the warehouse because if someone got sick and we had to shut down the food bank, that would just have a ripple effect across our community of not being able to have access to the food because the food bank provides about 80% of the food that our partner agencies, those local community pantries provide in their community. And if we weren't able to su support that, I mean, that's a heavy weight on your shoulder to think about if we shut down, we shut down access to food for those people that, that need it more than ever. Wow. So basically everything that we did had to change. And we also had to be okay with trying some things and failing because um, the, the main objective that we wanted to, to do is to get more food out to the people that needed it. And sometimes we were, you know, we were kidding produce in boxes that wasn't full. And we were realizing that 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 couldn't work. <laughs> they didn't need to work like that because they would crush on pallets and then that would crush the food. I mean, so yeah, we had to try some things. We had to fine tune some things because it was a new environment. There was not a playbook for a pandemic. Uh, much different situation than whenever you're taking care of evacuees or something because that's typically a small percentage of the population. It was like overnight, the needs doubled in our community. Mm. Well, what do you wish people knew about the food deficiencies of people here in Dallas? I mean, what what do you think maybe is a common misconception that you could clarify? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that because uh, I think a lot of people do have a misperception. They do think it's the person that they see that's panhandling on the corner. And, and it, quite honestly, it's not. We have almost a million people in the 13 counties that we serve that don't know if they're going to have food on their table at night. And, you know, sometimes it's people in your neighborhood, someone who's lost a job and they don't have a lot of reserves or they have bills that they have to be able to pay. Um, and so, you know, there's probably somebody, you know, that, that is, that suffers with food insecurity, that's hungry. You know, a lot of students, students that are going to college, you hear about the whole ramen noodle noodle, peanut butter. I mean, I know that I tried to scrimp and save when I was in college, but I still, I still had access to food. I mean, there are kids that sleep in their car and just to try to make sure that they can get access to that education and, and they need access to food in order to be able to do that. They may have uh, student loans and they may come in earlier in the, in the month. And if they've spent those down, they may be couch surfing and sort of seeing what they could get. And they, they miss meals oftentimes, um, you know, and so I think that's the main thing. And the other thing is there is no shame in going to a food pantry to have access to food. Everybody needs a little help sometimes. And we have so seen so many success stories of people that, you know, they're, they've waited, they've waited, they haven't gone to get access to food, but once they go and they know that that portion is relieved, you know, food, food is supplemental to the family's overall 
needs that they have on a monthly basis. And if we can help sort of supply that and they can use their resources to make sure that they're covering, let's say their child needs something for virtual learning that they need to be able to supply or they, they do need that car or some kind of, you know, insurance to make sure that they can continue to pay their health insurance. You know, if we can help offset some of that, the whole family entity is better. And then typically of many of those food pantries that are in our community, they offer other support to families to help them get back on their feet. So whether it's career assistance or health assistance or whatever it might be, they can help sort of holistically look at what that family needs to, to help get them on their feet. And, you know, that's what we want. We want our, our community to thrive. And what we think is through the food, you know, that just provides a little hope for them and to help them to sustain, um, you know, being able to, to get back on their feet. And just alleviate the pressure of one, just one aspect of your life, right? Even though it's a huge aspect, but especially as parents, you know, you're going to try to take care of your, your kids and your family first before you even take care of yourself. But to have that one thing, um, to know that there's hope of having a, a backup plan uh, or plan B when you can't do it yourself has to be such um a huge piece for people that really need it to know that it's there. You know, it was interesting when Reed went to uh, Baylor, uh, I don't know, last year, I guess I saw that they have a, basically a food pantry on campus that was exactly for what you said, for those kids that do have food insecurities that they don't have enough um, to get by. And I, I honestly, I was so, so shocked because I'm like at Baylor, um, but there are a lot of kids that just are there either on scholarship or they're putting themselves through school or they're married and have a family. And, um, but it was really cool to see that they, they have this place that the students can go on campus and, um, get whatever they need. And then they'll have, um, they have some times where they bring in on Saturdays, they'll have kind of like a mini farmer's market that the students have access to. So, um, I think you're right. There are a lot of times when there's people that you don't expect. Um, but to have that option is, I love listening to you talk about it because you can tell you're so excited and just <laughs> passionate about what you're doing. And, and I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about real quick. Um, yesterday was North Texas giving day. So that was super exciting. Um, and Reg and I were following it last night because he works with a foster care program and we were watching their, their totals. But the last look that I saw you guys were able, at least it was like nine o'clock last night, um, to raise like $1.7 million in donations. Did you guys manage to hit whatever your goal was? Did you, I don't know where it ended up. Well, we ended up at, uh, almost 1.9 million. Wow. And, uh, I will tell you, I was blown away last year. Um, you know, our community is always, great to be able to support us. But I think what they've seen is the the needs in our community and they want to help. And, you know, North Texas is such a giving community. And to see what they did in that one day was amazing. We had over 5,500 donors provide that 1.9 million in support. And to know that that 1.9 million will, will turn into almost 6 million meals for our community at a time whenever we're doubling our output is incredible, you know, and 95 cents of every dollar given to the North Texas Food Bank goes straight into 
into our food programs and our feeding programs. So, you know, that's one of the things that attracted me to the organization. But it's also one of the reasons why I am very proud to go out and ask for support for the food bank, because I know that we can multiply the impact of those dollars in a way that a lot of nonprofits aren't able to do that. But, you know, helping feed hungry people is is something that we're able to do. And we're really trying to continue to, to work and improve those efficiencies of even getting more food out to more people um, with those dollars that are given to us. And so I don't take it lightly that our community has provided these resources for us because that's a vote of confidence and trust in us. And it's something that we never want to break that confidence. And so we're going to continue to be good stewards of those dollars to make sure that we can can get more food on more tables. And as long as the community continues to support us in that way, then we will be able to continue to make sure that we can we can meet the needs here in North Texas. But I truly was blown away. Uh, yes, our goal was much lower than that. Last year, we, we got, uh, it was about $900,000. And so they basically doubled what they had provided last year, which is great because our needs have doubled. Yeah, because I was even looking at the numbers and y'all look like the food bank in terms of like the top 10 agencies that uh, received donations yesterday surpassed donations by almost a million dollars compared to the other ones. Not that it's a competition, but I mean, it just shows that especially right now, people do see that the very, very basic of needs are so important um, and how the pandemic has just changed so much. But I think that's got to be one thing that you, like you said, has been just so reassuring um, in learning what the community has and watching what the community has done and how people have pulled together. I mean, when you talked about losing, you know, the volunteers just because of access during all of this, I can't imagine, you know, trying to do all of that. I, I don't know. How did you guys manage getting all of it just, you know, distributed without all the normal volunteers. I, I know we saw some, you know, videos and pictures of the car lines and just like you would run out before the cars were gone. And um, yeah. So first our, our own team uh, had to step up. So we had people, we went through our entire organization and we said, okay, job one right now is getting food out. And we have a lot of programs and we have other things and, we had administrative assistants. I worked. I worked some of those lines as well. Everyone in the organization stepped up because we knew our priority right then was to get food out to people. So whether it was warehouse or drivers or food distribution or kidding boxes, we we put our own teams to work. And you know that's the, that is one of the differences I think about working at a nonprofit is people are here because they want to serve. They want to serve that mission. And you know our team really stepped up in a way that. Uh, to make sure that we were able to do that. And it didn't matter what their other role day job was or anything. Everybody rolled their sleeves up to try to make sure that we could get food out. The other thing we did is we have a wonderful board of directors and we were having conversations and I had shared with my board that my number one concern was access to volunteers at that time. And so uh, my board chair at the time was an entrepreneur himself. Uh, and I, we had mentioned and I had talked to him about the fact that, uh, you know, Mark Cuban said he was going to pay his arena workers to, to go and volunteer just to try to make sure that he could keep, you know, them employed. And I think that maybe sparked something because is in his entrepreneurial mind, he worked with an organization called Shift Smart. 
and then also with the Communities Foundation of Texas to put together an initiative called Get Shift Done. I can remember the weekend that we talked about it and said, would this work? And he was able to make it happen. And they got people to commute to donate to a fund at the Communities Foundation to be able to provide workers for the food bank. So they would pay workers from the hospitality industry, which was extremely hard hit because of all the restaurants shut down. Right. To be able to come and spend the time that they were being paid for here at the food bank. So they were essentially paid volunteers and we're still using that model today. Additionally, we had seen other food banks who had um, utilized National Guard resources. And so we put in a plea for National Guard, which we were able to receive for a few months uh, support. And they were critical to, especially during that time when no one was really getting out and everything was shut down. Uh, They were efficient. They were hard workers. And all those long lines, they were able to, to really help us not only there, but throughout the organization in the warehouse and driving and uh, really just supplemented our labor. We have about 180 people that work at the North Texas Food Bank on a regular basis, but the National Guard, that initial group was about 288. So we more than doubled our workforce to be able to help us to meet that doubling in demand out in the community as well. So that was really incredible. The Guard went away in July. We do have now, just this week, we started we have access to, to 40 additional guard members that we should have for the next few months. And um, so, you know, we're trying to get into our new rhythm and what's that going to look like. We know that some of the government resources that we had access to may not be there long term. So we're having to plan out how we meet the demands long term because we've been told that there will likely be this increased need for at least two for two years, because it'll take that long because so many businesses have shut down that it'll take that long for people to get back on their feet. So even if they have employment again, they've really dug a hole to try to take care of their needs right now that they're going to it's going to take a while for people to get back on their feet to a level where they can sustain by themselves. Yeah, and that was what I was going to kind of ask you last is just what you know, what is it that you want people to know about the continuing need and what the future looks like, at least especially the next few months and into the next year? I remember one of the first reports that I read when this first was coming out and people were first getting sick on the West Coast, um, somebody saying that, you know, this is going to last a good 18 months minimum in terms of the ripple effect of, of what, you know, we were seeing. And we were all like, oh, no, we'll be back at church by Easter. You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> But just like anyone's seen. Yeah. So what are some things that you, what's something that you would want to end with that you would want somebody to know about, you know, just to kind of keep in the back of their mind of what you would expect over the next few months? So, so I think the main thing is that, you know, we're going to have these needs continuing. And so I would just ask people to, to keep at the top of their mind, how they can continue to help if they are very fortunate in the fact that, that they have access to resources you know, continue to support organizations that, that need your help. You know, certainly the food bank is, is one, but I know people have other organizations. Support your local community pantries. Support some of those other struggling nonprofits that may, uh, you know, also have needs as well. Um, you know, we know here that for every dollar given that we can provide three meals and we're providing about 80% of food to, to more than 200 food pantries in the 13 counties. I mean, we really are like a nonprofit logistics company and we're going to need long-term support to be able to do that for the next 24 months. So it's not just 
once we get past things. You know, even when a vaccine happens, it's not going to immediately take care of this issue. And I think there's people that are thinking that, oh, well, once we get a vaccine, well, when the vaccine first comes out, we, number one, we don't know for sure what the effectiveness will be uh, overall. They're, they're doing some rapid testing right now, but it's not going through the same testing that, that some others will. And there will be prioritization of who would be accessing that vaccine as well. And so what we've been hearing is that it may take through next year before we get to a steady state where we feel more comfortable uh, back out. So we may be still looking for social distancing and mask wearing and all those things to protect people for quite a while. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a real challenge, I think, going on. The other thing is, uh, you know, the government has really stepped up to be able to help during this time with so, so many of their stimulus and relief packages. You know, there's a there's a, going to be a huge budget deficit, but we need to help our, our elected officials, which we've had very strong support on both sides of the aisles. You know, hunger is one of those things that is a brings people together. Mm-hmm. But uh, we need to have our, our citizens to continue to advocate for policies that will support those that are hungry in our community, knowing that it does have such a ripple effect on so many other parts of life. Um, we, we just need to make sure that people can stand up for those because, I mean, there will be jeopardy. We, we have some things right now at the state level that there's jeopardy of some of those programs being cut, and that will be detrimental to our ability to be able to serve all those that need a little extra help right now. So I would just ask that they would continue to advocate. And, you know, and, and if you're willing and able, look at our website and volunteer. You know, we do have opportunities when we're doing these drive-through distributions. We keep everyone safe. People are masked. We put things in trunks. Uh, We don't, you know, breathe the same air of anyone that we're serving there. But uh, it takes a lot of manual labor to be able to go off and do some of those. And so we have mobile distribution volunteer opportunities, as well as some here in in our our location, Kidding Food, on um, primarily the weekends. We've been doing some volunteer options there. So you can go to ntfb.org slash volunteer and see if that's a way that you would you would want to be able uh, to serve as well. So we have many opportunities for people to engage and make a difference in their own communities as well. Well, Tricia, you are just a wealth of knowledge in a world that, you know, most of us don't, at least in this part of North Texas, don't uh, feel like we understand. Um, And you have been such an amazing leader you know, not only uh, in my experience with you in the church and with um, youth that I know that you've worked with in the past, but just as a woman in a in a business world, um, you know, using the talents and gifts that God's given you and not backing down. And I just thank you, first of all, from a friend to friend um, for all the work that you've done. And thank you for taking time out to kind of sit and talk to me uh, and give us a little inside view as to what it's been like Um in your life and how you've kind of done that, um, as a mom with kids. And yet, um, you could have just stopped, right. You could have just said, Oh, I'm retired. I'm, I'm done. But God had more for you and you knew it and you listened to that tug in your heart and were obedient to it. And so I'm just, so I think the world and especially our Dallas community is just very blessed by you and, and all that you've done. So thank you so much for being and talking with me today. Thank you, Lynn. And I just want to say, you know, it's not about one person. It takes a team. It takes a village. You know, I have a wonderful team here. I have wonderful friends. I have wonderful, you know, we have so many people that support this mission. So it takes all of this. So I never want to shine a light on just me or one person because it takes all of us to be able to make this impact. 
Sure. Well, I appreciate you being on with me today, and um, I look forward to seeing you soon. Um, guys, thanks so much for listening to Drive Through Moms today. Happy Wednesday, and we will see you next week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Man, God is so faithful in the good and the bad, and what an honor it is for me to get to chat with these women um, and these sweet souls. Uh, be sure and subscribe to us on iTunes. We would appreciate it if you leave a great review. If you don't want to leave a great review, just skip that part. You can check us out on our website at drivethroughmoms.org for all of our stories and other resources. Until next week, happy Wednesday.